You know, I was in my office this morning and I was praying and the Lord kind of shared with me that he wanted me to share with you about faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. And sometimes as believers, it's easy for us to have faith when things are going well. But what about when things aren't going well? What about when kind of your health isn't what it should be, your finances aren't what it should be, you're, you're going through a stressful relationship? And it's interesting because Jesus was dealing with someone, and he says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I mean, how many of you can relate with that? You know, you have moments where you're, like, you're kind of like the waves of the ocean. You have some, some lows and you have some highs. You know, you, you have a good time and then something hits you. As we're sitting in worship, the Lord said, I want you to read a section of Scripture. And it's found in the book of Acts, chapter 7. And it's an interesting passage of Scripture because a lot of times we, we gloss over some of the tough things in Scripture. But if you have your Bibles, I don't have a slide for it, but if you have your Bibles, I'm reading from uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 54 through uh, the end of the chapter. And it says, And when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him, referring to Stephen. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven. I love this. Here is a guy in the midst of being persecuted, looks up to heaven and says this, I saw the glory of the Lord and Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. Look, he said, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. And they all rushed towards him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coat at the feet of this young man named Saul. Interesting. Soon to be the Apostle Paul. And when they were stoning Stephen... Stephen prayed, I love this, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep or died. And I was thinking about that passage of Scripture because so many times as believers, we want to think that, you know, it's, it's like a Disney movie. That, oh, and then they lived happily ever after. And there was never any hardship or never any pain or never any tragedy. You know, it's really easy to trust God when things are going really well. But what about when you're going through some real ugly parts of life? Do you trust the Lord? Do you see that he is your strong tower, that he is your defender, that he is the one that is able to do all things, all things, all things, even when you don't believe it? You know, and I was, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, so how do we add to our faith? You see, it's really important for us as believers not to just get glossed over. And I think sometimes some of the message the church has given us is that once you accept Jesus, all your problems end. How many of you know that's not true? You know? Because you're in the midst of a battle, right? You're in the midst of warfare. I love that song, Worship is My Warfare. Because, you know, pr when you put your praise on, you change the atmosphere. 
When you put your praise on, you are declaring something, and, and, and you're, you're declaring something that you may not even see. You may not even feel it. You may not even believe it at that point, but what you're saying is, God, I'm putting my trust in you. I don't care what the situation says. I don't care what the circumstance says. I don't care what my friends say. I don't care what my enemies say. I don't care what the doctor says. I don't care what the bank says. I don't care what my employer says. I know who I believe in. I know he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what I imagine or ask. And so I want to encourage you, you know, this is a time of the year is, you know, my wife and I, we went to Santa Cruz yesterday and we were sitting on, on West Cliff Drive, standing there looking out over the oceans and the sound of the surf was hitting this, the, the shore. And I said, man, that just reminds me of heaven, you know, because it says that worship is going to be like, like thunder, the sounds of many waters, it's going to be pounding all through eternity. And you know, the, there is power in waves hitting the shore. And there is power in your praise when you're going through a difficult situation. When you stand up and you say, you know what? I don't care what the situation says. I know that all things work together for the good of those that love God. All things. Do you hear me? Not just all good things, but all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. So I want to encourage you this morning. We're going to pray. And I, I, can, we, can we do that worship as our warfare again? Because I, I want you to get this deep in your spirit. You see, we're, we're in a season right now, and this is one thing that as Christians, we got to be very careful. Because we're in a season right now that is supposed to be the time of the year that we celebrate the birth of Christ. Right? But what does it become? Materialism, greed, getting more and more. You deserve, you know, you have been so good this year, you deserve a new Audi. You, you deserve it. You, you, you did what, you go out and shovel, there's a commercial. The guy goes out and shovels a guy's driveway, and then he goes buys himself a new car, you know, because he deserves it, because he did that little, you know. We become so obsessed with possessions rather than the Prince of Peace. And I want us to focus in, I want you as believers to focus in on the goodness of the Lord. You know, the word says this in John chapter 1, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's really the, the meaning of Christmas. And I'm not against gifts or giving presents, but, you know, sometimes we get so materialistic around this time of the year. And I don't know about you, but is everyone going crazy and they're driving? You know? It's like they're, they're possessed, you know? And so what we need to be, we need to be people that are in the Word. We need to be people that are in the Spirit. You know, I walked in this morning and someone said, oh, you have your Holy Spirit shirt on. And then Kit says, oh, is that your Jonathan Livingston Steelgull shirt? So she brought me back to reality. But I love this shirt because I've got a Holy Spirit on fire in my belly. I've got one on my right hand, and I've got one watching my back. And I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit is with you during this season. And you need to focus in on him. You know, the word says, if you draw near to me, what will happen? He will draw near to you. And I want us to press in this morning. I want us to pray because, you know, faith, Scripture says this in Romans. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I want to encourage you this Christmas season. Get into the word. Let the word get into you. Marinate in the Holy Spirit. Allow the spirits to just saturate you and to build up your faith. Because here's what happens. When you start getting into the Word, remember, the Word is just not this book, right? It's personified in a person named Jesus. Jesus said in John 1, 
I am the word. I am the logos. I am the living word, not just the word that's written on paper, but I am the word of God that's active, that's sharper than any two-edged sword that could divide into the very narrowest, the middle of things. And when you and I get in there, it builds our faith. It encourages our faith. It strengthens our faith. It fortifies our faith. So I'm going to pray with you this morning. How many of you would say, you know, Pastor David, I just need an injection of faith this morning. Come on, stand up. I want you to stand up. And the reason I want you to stand up is because I want you to be lightning rods for the Holy Spirit. I want you to, if you need your faith to be strengthened, I want you to stand. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray. And we're going to believe God that God can do what other people say he can't do. That he can move the stones. He could, he could raise the dead. He could bring life where there's death. He could bring freedom where there's bondage. Lord, we come before you this morning, and we thank you that we can stand here and worship the God who sets people free, that worships the God who is our healer and our deliverer and our savior, that worships the God that puts faith where there isn't, where he says, if you just have those, the faith of a mustard seed, you'll speak to this mountain and it shall be removed. Lord, we pray that God your Holy Spirit would just surround your sons and daughters this morning. I pray that, God, you would renew in us the faith and trust in our living God. I pray that, God, that the situations and circumstances that we're addressing will not diminish who you are, but they will just magnify your glory, that they will magnify the presence of the Lord, that they will show that you, God, are the way maker. You are the God who does the impossible. You are the God that supersedes nature. You are the God that supersedes situations and circumstances. And God, we come before you this morning and we say, Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Lord, I pray that you would fan into flame the Spirit of God within each of your sons and daughters. And God, as we worship you and we praise you, God, we will know that we're putting on the weapons of our warfare that are able to destroy the strongholds of the devil. And Lord, we come before you this morning trusting and believing you that you are a good, 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 good God in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Let's see who's here today. What are we doing? What are we doing here? Why are we here? Tell me, Pastor Lynn. No. Why are we here? God is good. More strength, some muscle. Amen. That's why we're here. We are here. Today it's going to feel a little bit maybe. How many of you have ever um, seen or experienced a dislocated shoulder? You know what? What is the only way a dislocated shoulder can go back into its socket? By popping it back in. There's really no other way. You can't numb it. You just got to do it. You just got to do it. You got to tell the person before you do it, this is what's going to happen. Get ready. But it's going to be, you're going to function way better as a result. <laughs> so for some of us, this may feel a little bit like a dislocated shoulder going back in the socket, but we didn't know we had a dislocated shoulder. We've been functioning a certain way and we felt that it was okay, but we wondered why we weren't getting the results that we desired. 
And the Lord wants to get us uh, high-functioning Christians. High-functioning Christians. How do we determine what that looks like? By the word of God. And particularly, specifically, by the people of God in the word of God. And specifically from that, the people that were uh, received the Holy Spirit, see, because we are the church continued. See, the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit filled people. Remember that day, Acts chapter 2. They got full of the Holy Spirit, and then they began to function in their marketplace, function where they worked, functioned out there when they're buying groceries. And that is our model, how they functioned. That's our model for today. It's not anything else. That's our model. So we're going to look at that today because I'm going to talk, I'm going to confront a lie that we can believe. Now, we wouldn't say we believe this, but we function like we believe this. Lynn, Pastor Lynn, just some things God cannot heal. Now, we wouldn't say that because we know it's contrary to the word, but we function that way. We think that way. We respond to things that way. And today, while I was praying, actually this week while I was praying, I really put a lot of prayer into this because it can be a very sensitive topic. Healing can be a sensitive topic to people. The Lord gave me a picture, reminded me of the story of Lazarus. Remember him, Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, died. He dies before Jesus gets there. Jesus shows up, and some, one of his sisters, Martha, is not very happy with Jesus. She's respectful, but kind of not happy, because her words say this. If you'd been here, Jesus, Lazarus would not have died. That's what she says to him. And he interacts with her and gets her to declare who he is, because she's actually the one that says, but Jesus, I know you are the resurrection and life. Okay, so she's in a circumstance of death, and he calls forth in the sense by his presence, by Jesus showing up, that he is the resurrection and life. And then he calls forth Lazarus, and he says, come forth. And here Lazarus comes in his grave clothes, wrapped up as a mummy, out and begins to waddle out of the cave, which was the burial place, alive. What does that have to do with today? Some of us, we don't know this yet, but our faith is buried. Maybe it's buried with disappointment. This is all prophetic word. This is not even sermon yet. It's buried with circumstance. It's buried with your experience. It's buried with discouragement. And the Lord is saying, I'm call- I've arrived in your death. Come on, people. I have arrived in your death. And you have said, if you would have changed that person, if you would have changed that situation, if you would have showed up when I wanted you to, we wouldn't be here today in this circumstance. And the Lord said, I have shown up. And I'm going to call forth your faith and that which you desire, that miracle is going to come forth. Amen. That's why we're here. So we're going to talk about healing. One thing about healing 
that the Gospels show us, the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is the story of Jesus, four different accounts of Jesus' life here on earth, his ministry life here on earth specifically. One thing that they reveal is this, that sickness and disease, people's sicknesses, people's disease, people's unanswered problems, people's impossibilities brought them to Jesus. Now, I don't know if they would have come to Jesus had they not had their sickness, disease, and possibilities and problems. I don't know if they would have. But we do know this, that those things brought them to Jesus. And it wasn't just the poor or the disadvantaged. You had the rich. I mean, Lazarus and, and Mary and Martha were actual very wealthy people who were friends of Jesus that hosted him. He was a time where they had hospitality, gave him a restful place to stay. It was the poor, it was the rich, it was the educated, it was the uneducated, it was the men, it was the women, it was the widows, it was the married, it was the head of households. All kinds of people came to Jesus because they had an unanswered problem. They had a need that needed to be met, and even if they sought out many things, as we know, the woman with the issue of blood went to many doctors until she was impoverished, and finally she came to Jesus, and he had the answer. And even today, I say all this, is that the Gospels reflect what we have in our world today, is that the world does not have answers for impossibilities. They never will have answers for our impossibilities. There is no safety net the world can give us for our impossibilities. See, because the world has no answers and the voice behind the world is the enemy, what they come up with for answers is that's not a disease. That's not a problem. It's not a problem. They begin to move the median definition of what sickness is towards it's not sickness, it's actually health. So what you're experiencing is not sickness because they have no answers. What has become the trend in our culture is that we can walk around extremely ill as human beings. And I'm not just, I'm not... Please don't just think I'm targeting physical illness. I am not. Actually, I would say the target zone is more outside of physical than anything else. We're going to get there in a minute. But in our body, mind, soul, and spirit, the world says you're not sick. Now, you are sick. But the world says, no, you're not sick because they have no answers. And the enemy has so distorted the thoughts of man that people actually believe that their sickness is their health. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Or am I confusing you? Tell me, am I confusing you? It is their God-given identity that you are this way. And behind this belief is this. There are things that God just can't heal. So let's just embrace it. And so we wear our problems, our sickness, disease, depravity, addictions, like a badge of honor. 
as part of our identity and purpose rather than the truth of the word of God. Because we're going to go to the truth of the word of God that God sent Jesus to shed his blood so that we could be made whole. So that we could be made whole. And the enemy wants you to believe. I know I'm going to put that arm in the socket today. The enemy wants you to believe that your current experience is your destiny. He wants you to believe that depression is your destiny, not the mind of Christ. He wants you to believe you cannot be free from your sickness and disease because he has moved the median marker towards greater and greater sickness as normative. The enemy has moved the median marker to say sickness is normative. Walking and living in depravity is normative. But this is the thing. When somebody wrote this, I don't know who, but I think it was God. Don't let what you see make you forget what I said. Don't let what you see make you forget what I said. Don't let what you see, even in your own circumstances, Martha, don't let what you see that Lazarus is dead make you forget what I said. And that is our challenge today, that even in our circumstances around us where we see lots of sickness and disease, and, and I'm not just talking physical, I'm talking in every way, spiritual, mental, emotional, relational, financial, in every way, we see it. But what has God said about these things? What has God said? So here we go. First, he said this, I am Jehovah Rapha. Exodus 15:22 gives us the circumstance by which God declares his name. It's very important when God shows up and he says, okay, I'm going to tell you a new name that I am. It's interesting about God. We serve one God. He is one. He is one God. It's interesting if you go into other religions, specifically like Hinduism or things like that, they have many gods that do one thing. We have one God that does everything. <laughs> Our God is so much higher. See, because they're mimics. They're mimics of our God because he is higher and greater. And not as he, he's not in competition with them. He is high above them. He is, sometimes we act like, oh, the demons of principality is right here. No, he is high above these things. So in this circumstance in Exodus, the Lord is going to teach his people, about him being a healer. But it's important how he starts it all out, how he launches his name Jehovah Rapha. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, now remember, three days, okay? So they're pretty thirsty, and where are they at? In the in desert, so if you get hangry, just think how you feel when you're thirsty, right? When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, 
and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. Remember, he, they had just come out from the plagues, right? For I am the Lord who heals you. I am Jehovah Rapha. Now let's look at this picture that has been painted to describe Jehovah Rapha. First, Moses sees a tree. Uh, he's asked to look and find a, a branch or a stick, part of a tree. And this tree or this stick is cast into the waters. And what's the result? The bitter waters become sweet. What happens after that? The people can drink the waters and their thirst is quenched as a result. And they can continue on in their journey. The Lord, as a result, makes a decree and a law. And he says this is a test for them. Listen. Listen to my voice, do what's right in my eyes, pay attention to my commands, and keep my decrees, and I will not bring on you diseases I brought on the Egyptians. And then he gives them the I am statement. This is not something I do. This is who I am. I am the God who heals you. Now, two important aspects to this. It's this. He has declared his name Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah heals. The word Jehovah, the name Jehovah is connected. When used in scripture, the name Jehovah is connected with intimate interactions with humanity. It is an intimate term that he uses when he interacts with humanity, and it suggests his moral and spiritual attributes in God's righteousness, holy, and love. I am a God of righteousness. I'm a God of holiness, and I am God of love that loves you. So that's Jehovah. And then he connects with Jehovah Rapha. I am healer. Sixty times in the Old Testament, he uses the word, the name Rapha. And it always means to restore, to heal, to cure, or a physician, not only in the physical sense, but in the moral and spiritual sense also. In every way that has to do with the human existence, God is healer, not just physical. A lot of times I find in the church when we talk about healing, it only is about I have the flu, I have a cold, I have a fever, I have a disease, a physical disease. But the Lord has always put it all together as interactive, holistic, and then what he does, he says what his name is, and then he says this, I have made a commitment to you as healer. I am committed to you as healer. It's a commitment. That's the significance of his name. And then the circumstances is this, these people have just left bondage. They have just been delivered and are now out in the desert. They have just left their place of bondage and have had the, quote, salvation experience, coming to be the people of God, identified as the people of God. And what is the first thing that they experience? A bitter situation. What does that show? Just like Pastor David was saying, 
Life isn't easy. Just because we're Christians, just because we're followers of the Lord does not mean we won't experience bitter things. Doesn't mean we won't experience hardships and diseases. But in this, he says, I am your healer. So what I do is that I am able to come and heal those things those bitter experiences in your life, those disappointments in your life, because I am here to heal. So he has the commitment to heal, his name and his commitment. Later on, David, King David, writes this, to remind the people of who their God is. Psalms 103, 1 through 5. Bless and affectionately praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is deep within me. Bless his holy name. Bless and affectionately praise the Lord, O my soul. And do not forget any of his benefits. Let's stop there. Forgetting your benefits. Pastor Dave and I went to Israel last year. We had an interesting trip. It wasn't smooth. It wasn't smooth at all. Pastor David got the flu really bad for like three or four days and actually affected him most of the time. It was still a good trip, but it wasn't a smooth trip. But what wasn't smooth at all is on our way back, we had, uh, our flight was canceled due to uh, troubling circumstances. And so we ended up having to go in the middle of the night to find a hotel, whatever. The, the United Airlines arranged it. We ended up getting there like 5 o'clock in the morning or something, and they said, you have to be out at 11. The guy was like mafia when he was telling us that. You've got to be out at 11. You've got to be out at 11. So by the time he got to sleep, you had to get up. You know what I'm saying? It's exhausting. Then we had to stay in the hotel lobby all day until about 7 p.m., 8 p.m. that night because we had nowhere to go. So all of us were just hanging out in the, the hotel lobby. And, yeah, it was a bummer. It was a bummer. But you know what the worst part about it was? Pastor David and I had forgot our benefits. Because we had bought insurance for our trip. And not until we got home did we look at our insurance policy and find out that when they cancel a trip, they will pay for any hotel you want, clothing if you need it, the best kind of food up to a certain amount. And we had forgotten our benefits, and as a result, we lived in the impoverished state, and we could have been living high on the hog because we weren't looking closely to what the Word had said about the insurance policy. Come on, people. Some of us are not looking closely to what the insurance policy says about our lives. Who does not forget any of his benefits. Come on, Lord, reveal to you us the benefits. Who forgives all your sins. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you lavishly with loving kindness and tender mercy. Who satisfies your years with good things. So that your youth is renewed like the soaring eagle. Our benefits. In 2018, coming into 2019, is the people of God, are the people of God living in their benefits? Are you living in your benefits? 
See, he says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Is he the same? Is he the same yesterday, today, and forever? Yes, I am. Those are your benefits. I heal today. Next, Jesus is our healer. See, we, we just learned the circumstance of God declaring Jehovah Rapha. But who is Jehovah Rapha? Jesus is Jehovah Rapha. And Jesus, in that story, Jesus is the limb or the tree or the branch that God showed Moses. Jesus is that. The tree cast into the waters expresses the symbol of the cross of Jesus. See, when the cross is placed into the bitter waters, come on, hear me. When the cross is placed into the bitter waters, what happens? They become sweet. They become healed. And Jesus, his work on the cross would sweeten the bitter things because life will bring us bitter things. But Jesus' presence will sweeten those things. See, because Jesus came to heal the sick, both spiritually and physically. Jesus is our healer. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. This was his mission statement. I, this was, it's interesting to me. Luke 4 is a statement where Jesus comes into the synagogue and he reads from Isaiah and he declares himself as Messiah. But this is what's interesting about this in regards to healing. Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Let me just say something here about healing. Why would God, Jesus, declare healing of the brokenhearted as a primary standard for healing? You know how the Lord likes to work from the inside out. A lot of times we, when it comes to healing, want to work from the outside in. You have something wrong outside of you. You know, maybe your, your, your arm is broken. But it's interesting about Jesus. He works from the inside out when it comes to healing. From the inside out. And in his mission statement... He says, you know what? I have come to heal your broken heart. Why? Because you know what? When we have disease and sickness and hurt and pain and all the areas of our life, it breaks our heart. It breaks our heart. And Jesus uses that as a primary focus of his healing power, that I have come to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus came for the sick. He made that clear. Mark 2.17 says this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus has, uh, integrates our need for him spiritually with our need for him to heal us in every way. And this was his purpose when he came to earth, and it is his purpose still to heal. It is his, he has not changed his mission statement. He has not changed his mission statement. With all the answers that we do have through medical science, and thank God we have those answers, by the way. 
Those all good things come from the Father above, and there's lots of good things in the medical science. There's lots of people of faith that work as doctors and surgeons and nurses. Thank God for those things. Those are ways that God does heal, and we are thankful for that. And as we go into nations that do not have those resources, there are godly people wanting to help with those resources to bring healing to the lives of people. So this is not an anti-medicine message, nor should it be. Even Paul the Apostle recommends, take some wine for your stomach as medicine. So it's not an anti-medicine. God wants us to have the wisdom that he discloses. We are made in his image, and he wants us to have creative answers for things. But at the same time, there are so many sicknesses and diseases, and I'm talking beyond the physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, sexual, financial sicknesses that God has come to heal. Jesus has come to heal, and he says, I am still here as a physician to heal. He came for the sick, and this house, this house, God has declared this house as a house for healing. And so when we say this is a, you know, I was just saying to my, my family the other day, I have, a, I'm a magnetic force for people who are, what do you want to say? Interesting. Like when I walk, I mean, I'm a safe place. I must be a safe person for people. I've, I remember even... Uh, for odd ducks. Yeah, I am a safe person. But so was Jesus. See, that's good. It's because they feel the sense of the presence of safety, the presence of acceptance. I am loved by you. I know you're not going to reject me. I know you're not going to hurt me. See, see the house. See, this is the thing. As the people of God, we are to be a safe place for the sick to come and find healing. And the truth is this. Sometimes it takes time. Layer by layer, there's a lot going on. That's what Jesus was. And let us be reminded of that as his people. Second thing is this. Jesus asked if someone wanted to be healed. He asked them. I like this story. It's an interesting story. John 5, 6. This was when the waters were being stirred in Bethsaida. And Jesus comes because, remember, the angel used to stir the water. And whoever got in first got healed. But this time Jesus shows up. And this is what he says. When Jesus saw this man lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? I mean, I'm just going to ask you that because if you don't, there's no sense us going there. Seems silly, but it's not silly. Because what was he, remember I said, Jesus always worked from the inside out. He was addressing the mentality of this man. Because our mentality can be the biggest challenge for our healing. Our mentality, especially when we are gotten used to our circumstance. We can accommodate our sickness to the point of it becoming a friend. We can accommodate our sickness... To the point of it becoming a friend or our identity, all along it's mocking us and mocking the cross. 
Now, I'm not saying, please don't get me wrong, just because you have a sickness that has continued on that you're doing that. I am not saying that. But I'm saying that that happens. That it happens, that it can become identity. It can become in our mind a soul tie, an emotional dependence that we have on it. Because sickness can become an excuse to not do certain things. I don't have to show up. I can be sick. That's a good idea. Let me be sick. Then I'll have to show up. I don't really want to do that. I don't, okay. We don't have to give out to others. We don't have to give out to them emotionally. I don't have it in me. I just don't have it in me. Because we can be, once again, arm going in socket here. We can use it as a reason not to live a life of responsibility, not to live a life of purpose, not to live a life of contribution, not to give out to anybody else. And we have a culture, a culture that supports that mentality, by the way. And so Jesus is confronting this mentality because around Bethsaida, this waters that were stirred, there was a culture. Because only one got healed every year only one so there was a culture because there was lots of people around here and this man said I can't I have no one to help me he's given Jesus his reasons and so this is what Jesus says to him John 5 7 sir the invalid replied this I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred so that's the reason while I am trying to get in someone else goes down ahead of me Then Jesus said to him, now let's listen closely. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Now, at other times, Jesus touches people. He actually extends his hand to people, but this time, he doesn't. He says, you want to be healed? Get up. And it is the will of the man, the mentality of the man, that has to change in that moment. What is the greater healing? Yes, he was an invalid. There is no question. But the greater healing was what? The mentality of the man. The way the man thought. See, this is the thing. He had to move on with his life. Some of us, or some people we know, let's not say us, not us, because you're all here. But, you know, some people we know don't want to move on with our life because we've Our identity has become our sickness or our relationship problem or our financial problem or our emotional problem or our depression or whatever you want to say it is. It has become our identity and we don't want to move on because we've developed a soul tie. And the the most important thing is this. we got to check out our mental and spiritual and emotional internal dialogue. Because it's not about what's going on outside physically. A lot of times it's what's going on inside. What is the internal dialogue? What is the mental dialogue? What is the emotional dialogue? See, because that's what Jesus was addressing here. The emotional connection to something. Has pain become your identity? It doesn't matter what type. Has it become your identity? Now listen, there are people in history, in church history, that have suffered pain and God did not heal them for whatever reason. 
but did not have it as their identity, did not use it as their excuse. So please get me here. A man by the name of John Wimber, I don't know if you know him, but you know the Vineyard Movement, the Vineyard Churches, the 90s. It was launched in the 90s. Very great healing emphasis in those churches. John Wimber was the founder through a great revival, a healing revival that happened through his life as a minister. But John Wimber suffered with cancer for years and years and years, and yet was used to heal many, many people through his faith. But he never used it as an excuse to not live out the purpose that God had for him. It was never his identity because he placed him and said, you know what, enemy, you may try to come against me with this stuff, but I'm going to walk in the identity that God has for me, and I'm going to be used by God in powerful ways. That's stomping on the devil. So the thing is, so I'm challenging you this day because the enemy wants us to get so fixated on the wrong thing. When inside we can say, you know what? Just like the three Hebrew children in the fire, in the furnace, they said, you know what? If God doesn't deliver me from this, I'm still going to worship. I'm still going to be used by him. I'm still going to be a powerful person. It's interesting how soul ties can happen with sickness and disease or, uh, or dysfunction or unhealthiness. You know, I work with a lot of um, missionaries, and in my past specifically work with missionaries. And one of the Latin American missionaries, I'm not going to name their names, but they're very prominent in Latin America, very successful, been there for decades they, we had uh, lunch or dinner with them once, and I had done doctoral work uh, on women. And so they were talking to me because there was a great problem that they face in Latin America, and that has to do with abuse. Uh, abuse in uh, husbands against wives or men against women. And one thing that they found that has happened was that the women would get saved, come to know the Lord, and they would pray and pray for their husband's abusive and, you know, machismo abusive kind of way. And they said, you know, they'll pray and pray and pray. Oh, let him get saved. Let him get saved. Let him get saved. And then the man gets saved. And then he starts living like Jesus. He's gentle. He's kind. And then they say, I don't want him anymore. I don't want him anymore because he's not macho. Who's sick here? Who's really sick here? I'm getting honest with you people. Who's sick here? See, the thing is this. They didn't recognize their own need for healing. They didn't recognize their own need. See, the thing is, is that sometimes sicknesses and diseases can be very subtle in us. And we can live in a very unhealthy perspective on things. And we can be all praying over here, God, heal my flu bug. God, heal my sore throat. God, and God said, you know what? I want to go a little bit beyond that. I, I'm going to start from the inside. I'm going to start with some stuff that may be a higher priority. He's a healer of all of us in all ways. Jesus' compassion moved him to heal. M Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the crowds, 
He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. He saw how the enemy was behind this, how the the enemy was harassing them with all the sickness and the disease and the destruction and the depravity, and he was moved with compassion for them. See, Jesus was exercising his power to heal. When he did this, he was playing hardball with the enemy. You see this, when we exercise the power that he has given us for healing, we are playing hardball with the enemy because the enemy wants people to be harassed. He wants them harassed. And Jesus saw that. And he was blocking the grip of the harasser. He was taking back what the enemy had stolen. He was, he was freeing them from the prison. And his compassion was his motivation. Matthew 14, 14. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude. And he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Listen, church, people of God, Jesus followers. We are to be motivated with the same thing that Jesus was motivated with, and that is with compassion. It should motivate us. we got to rip off the belief system of the world, and this is what the world, our culture, wants to tell us. Don't get involved in this. This is not your place. You're going to be offensive. It's awkward, Lynn. Don't say anything. Don't go there. Don't go there. Let them be harassed. It's okay. See, but our compassion of Jesus should have us see through that smoke screen of excuse or what the enemy's trying to tell us to say these people are being harassed by the enemy. See, this is the thing. Our world doesn't know that it's spiritually sick or depraved. They don't know it. But what has happened is this, and they need healing. They have what we call the Stockholm Syndrome. You know what that is? Remember what that it was? It's when the person who's been imprisoned has befriended their captor. They become friends with the person who has captured them. And the capturer or the, the prison guard is laughing all the way to the proverbial bank. Because the person captured has come to accept their imprisonment as almost good and okay. See, as good and okay. When all along they are living a life of bondage, disease, depravity, darkness. And we need to recognize, come on people, may we recognize that we have to be involved, that the world, the people in our world, they have the Stockholm Syndrome, that they don't realize that they are being captured and they are befriending the one that has captured them. We are to carry on the compassion of Jesus. We are to love people like Jesus did. And may we see, may we go for it like Jesus did. May we confront the harasser. 
May we confront the harasser. And, uh, and listen to me. Jesus always integrated who the person was. It wasn't just about one thing. It was holistically who they were. He cared for them as people. Not, he wasn't a salesperson. He wasn't trying to, quote, convert them. He loved them just where they were, and that's what moved him for compassion, knowing that they needed freedom, and we are to do the same. Jesus also ministered with healing power. I just want to give you some examples of how he did this, because this gives us something to model. Sometimes sickness is just physical. The truth is this. It's just all, it has nothing to do with anything else. It's just the physical healing that's needed. Luke 4.38, this is about Peter's mother-in-law. Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house, but Simon's wife, mother, was sick with a high fever, and they made request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And then they got a great thing, and immediately she rose and served them. Immediately. They're like, we need somebody to get make tea. None of us do a good job. Oh, let's pray for her. There we go. Come on. <laughs> Practical. No, it's just about physical healing. But many times in Scripture, it's more. There's, a little, there's more of an integration. And we see it in Luke 5, 17, when Jesus heals the paralytic, that there's a physical, spiritual healing that needs to happen. Luke 5, 17. We're going to learn some things here about healing in this more extensive passage. Now, it happened on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there was, were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. I love that scripture. Lord, may the power of the Lord be present to heal in this house. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and led him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. Talk about compassion. When he saw their faith, whose faith did he, they, he see? I think it was the people who were tearing off the housetop. He said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribe and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies, who can forgive sins but God alone? When he saw their face, what did he do? He started on the inside, didn't he? he here they brought this guy down from the rooftop. How, oh, man, may this house be so full that they start just taking off the roof, Lord, and bringing them down. I'd love that. And he, Jesus doesn't say, get up. He says, your sins are forgiven. What is the priority? And here the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say rise up and walk? But that you know, may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. Integration, spiritual, physical healing here. Here, what can we learn? There is a presence of God to heal. There's a recognition 
of the healing presence of God. Jesus recognized when the power of God was such, it was time. It was the timing for healing. Second thing we see in verse 20 is this, that Jesus saw faith. Jesus saw the faith. And then there was two types of healing going on. And Jesus prioritized the first one was a spiritual healing. The spirit was addressed first. That is the priority. But this is also what's interesting. The divine healing happened when the power of the Lord was present and when the faith was present. Do you hear me? The intersection of the divine healing was when the presence of the Lord was present to heal and the intersection of the faith of the people. You know what? When you come on this, to this house on Sundays, I want to encourage you to not forsake the assembling of us together. That as you come, I believe, as we gather, just like that gathering place where Jesus was, that the Lord is making this house a house of healing. And he wants us to come with faith for that. Jesus saw their faith. Jesus saw their faith. But, more, but something that I, has been on my heart about our culture now has to do with the lack of faith. The picking apart of healing. The over-intellectualization. The prioritizing natural things over supernatural things. And I have found in the church culture, and David and I, Pastor David and I have traveled all over this country when we were missionaries and this world. I have found, see, the word of God is still true. But it is dependent upon our perspective and our belief system. Let me show you. Nazareth. That many times people can start to dwell in the land of Nazareth. Now, let me explain to you what I mean. Mark 6, 1 through 6. This is the only time Jesus could not heal was in this city. Jesus left there and came to his hometown, Nazareth, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who listened to him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things, this knowledge and spiritual insight? What is this wisdom, this confident understanding of Scripture that has been given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. Okay, so they recognize a spiritual authority. Is this now? So they recognize it. Then they start to say, is this? They start to pick it apart. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and si Judas, and Simon? Are his sisters not here with us? And they were deeply offended by him. And their disapproval blinded them to the fact that he was anointed by God as the Messiah. Our offense can blind us. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household. And he could not do a miracle there at all because of their unbelief except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. He wondered at their unbelief. Do we reside in Nazareth? You see, when we believe more in the physical than we do in God's ability in the spiritual realm, in this supernatural realm, we are residing in Nazareth. 
When we have over-dependence on the physical intellect rather than the surrender to believe in what you cannot see or understand, we live in Nazareth. And this house is not going to live there. I've been to Nazareth before, so has he, and it's one of the most impoverished places, isn't it? Still, when I go visit there, I'm like, this is land. Is I didn't even connect it until I was doing the sermon that it was, it's like a ghetto-y place. And I'm thinking, you know, I wonder if that has anything to do with their response to Jesus now. See, the thing is this. We got to believe. We have to believe. Well, my circumstances tell me something different. Well, get your eyes off the physical and into what Jesus said he can do. And we're going to have to start building that muscle. So many Westerners, and specifically Americans, come to me if we've traveled. Why does God do miracles overseas? You know why? Because they believe. Because they believe. They need him to show up. They don't have a safety net. They don't get any pay from the government. They have to have him show up. They believe. But you know what? That is not to discount what can happen here. Because I'm telling you, he honors any belief. Doesn't matter if you drive up in a Mercedes. He says, you know what? You just believe. Believe me. Believe what I can do. See, the thing is, we could shut the door to the power of God in our lives. Do you hear me? Last week, I, I, God gave me a picture of uh, two doorways. Remember, it was a hotel room. Every time you go to one of those hotels, I don't know if in the more expensive hotel rooms they have this, but you know those two doors where somebody could be on the other side, and, it, and they both have doors, and if you unlock yours and they unlock theirs, you can go back and forth, you know, those places. My grandkids love those kind. But what can happen is God's on the other side. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. But if you do not open up your door and believe, the flow cannot happen. And some of us close the door by our mindsets, by our unbelief, by speaking against what God can do, by accepting a circumstance rather than saying, you know what, Lord, I believe. Yes, help my unbelief, but I believe. And, you know, we can believe for others as well. Just like the people who ripped open the rooftop. They believed for that man. I don't know if that man was unconscious. I don't know if that man had any ability to believe. But I do know this. They believed for him. Maybe we need some healing of our own unfaithful ways. Maybe we need some healing first of our own apostasy our own rejection of what the word has said. Maybe inside of ourselves, we need to start with that personal healing that says, Lord, heal me of the way I think about you. You say, oh, I don't know if they need, people need healing of that, Pastor. Oh, let's, you know I have a scripture for this, right? Hosea 14, the people of God have become so immersed in their culture, in the ways of their culture, in the mindset of their culture, that they stopped believing who God is. Hosea 14, 4, and the Lord is bringing them back to him, bringing them back to intimacy, bringing them back to identity, bringing them back to who he says that they are and who he says he is. 
And he says to them, you know what I'm going to do for you as I bring you back? I will heal their apostasy and faithlessness. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from Israel. I shall be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily, and he will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. His shoots will sprout, and his beauty will be like the olive tree, and his fragrance like the cedars of Lebanon. Those who live in his shadow will again raise grain, and they will blossom like the vine. His renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. Some of us need to be healed of our faithlessness. What is apostasy? It's an abandonment of belief in the word of God. It's abandonment of our commitment to our God. And we need to be healed of those things so that we can walk in the power that God has for us. Because the Lord has equipped you with power. If you have received the Holy Spirit through salvation, you have been equipped with the same power that Jesus had when he walked on this earth. He has delegated to you his power. That power does not come from you. It has been delegated to you from a more powerful person. He has given his power to you. He has given his delegated authority to you to heal. Do you hear me? He has delegated his authority to you to heal. Luke 9, 1 and 2. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons, over all demons, and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. And then they did it. They went and they did it. Not only did he tell them to do it, they went and they did it. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. This is when Peter and John go up to the temple in the ninth hour. And a certain man, laying from his mother's room, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who seen Peter and John about to go in the temple. He asked for alms. And Peter, fixing his eyes on him with John, said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him, at, saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They got this man's attention. And faith filled Peter and John that day. God can fill you with his faith for other people. And they gave this man the explanation, silver and gold I don't have. I don't need you to give you some physical thing. I don't need to give you a physical answer. You have something way more deep that you need. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. And when they use the name of Jesus, they express the authority to heal. Never do it in yourself. I'm going to tell you it's not about you. Some of us make it about us. I don't know, Pastor Lynn, what if it doesn't help? Quit making it about you. It's about him. It's all about him. It's all on him. He gave them the authority to heal while he was on earth, he said, you have been given the authority. Matthew 10, 1. He called his disciples 
to him and gave them authority to heal. Come on. And Peter in this scripture, he uses, he functions in that delegated authority. It's called in the Greek exousia. Exousia is authority. Power is dunamis. And exousia is authority. And you have both. You have dunamis and you have exousia. He has given you the authority to go out and pray for people that they may be healed. Are you walking in your exousia? Your authority. You have authority. It's the enemy that wants to keep people harassed. He wants to keep you harassed. He wants to keep you in unbelief for your own healing. For your broken heart. He wants your broken heart to stay broken. You have dunamis power. You have exousia. You have the authority to heal. Worship team, come on up here. Holy Spirit, your presence is here. Your Holy Spirit, come on, your presence is here. You know what? Jesus gave this to you. Jesus gave, the enemy wants you to, to not have compassion on people. The enemy wants you to have, um, uh, like, uh, apathy about people. He wants you to, to stay in your own little box. He, you know what, I'm going to, you know what, at this house, we're, I'm going to make it really hard for you. Pastor David is going to make it really hard for you to keep your faith, to keep your, your functioning in the spirit in some sort of designated box for Sundays or certain spiritual events. You're going to have to start breaking out. Start breaking out in new areas. Break it out in how you walk, just like Peter and John walk, because you are to walk in power and authority. How are you going to fill this house? How are you going to fill this house? You're going to fill this house by walking in exousia. You're going to fill this house by walking in dunamis power. That's how you're going to fill this house. Who's going to do it? You're going to do it. It's going to be more and more difficult for you to live a compartmentalized life. Oh, thank you, Pastor Lynn. That was so good. Now I'm going to go. I'm going to be with my family. No, they're not Christians. Yeah, they're struggling. They're struggling with a bunch of stuff. And the Holy Spirit's all, exousia, authority. You have authority. They're the ones that are harassed and helpless. Do you hear me? Jesus saw that they were harassed and helpless. And what motivated him was his compassion. In my prayer time for this, so what, Lord, is it that you're wanting us to, to confront? First of all, the Lord says, I want people to confront. Where do I need healing in my life? What have I accepted as my norm when Jesus wants me to be free? What do I need healing in my own life? Because maybe there's things in my life that need to be healed that are preventing me from walking in that exousia, authority. Because I have accepted the message of the world. I have accepted the message of the world. And Jesus says, I have called you to walk in power. I have called you to walk in authority. 
I have called you to stomp and tread on serpents' heads. <laughs> I have called you not to fear the serpent. I have called you to tread on the serpent's heads. So maybe that's one question. The other one the Lord has is this. Am I walking in the exousia or the authority that the Lord has given to me? Am I walking in that? Am I walking in that? Scripture says we shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And we shall be his witnesses. But witnesses in our context here, we act like it's something that we just talk about. Witnesses that talk about. But witnesses holistic. It's walking out. I am a living witness of him. That I walk out. I walk out knowing, believing, experiencing who he is who he is. I want you to stand with me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You are good, Lord. The Lord. It's time for you. It's time for you. Holy Spirit, you are good. You are a miracle worker. We believe you. We believe you. Lord, break off the over-dependence in the physical realm, Lord. Break that off. Break that off. Don't let what you see forget what he has said. Don't let what you see cause you to forget what he has said. There is a nurturance in our culture of being dependent on the physical realm. It's a real nurturance. Even this time of year creates almost a, there's so much physical over, like overabundance of just stuff. It numbs us almost. There's so much going on and we become very desensitized spiritually because there's so much physical going on. All along, there's so much hurting, pain people have that's hidden behind the physical. And the Lord wants to give you his eyes of compassion to reach in with his power and his authority to take back what the devil has stolen. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. I feel like sometimes, to be honest with you, not all, but there's a lot that the church, the church in especially America, has walked away from what it looked like in the book of Acts. And we kind of got into presenting some sort of pretty picture to the world or something. I don't even know what it is. Rather than the swinging for the fences kind of church. 
in the book of Acts. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to swing for the fences. We're going to believe God. And you say, well, what if we don't get the answer we want? We're going to still believe God, by the way. And when we don't get an answer, we still believe God. We just press in. We still believe. We still believe. We still believe because we know his word is true. We know his truth is greater than the truth of our circumstances. Some of us, it's time for you to be prayed with for an area of healing in your life. Others, you need to be prayed with because you need to really walk in the authority that the Lord has given to you through his blood and through his Holy Spirit that he has placed in you and you're not walking in the exousia that he wants you to walk in. Now let me tell you something. A few years ago, it's a long time now, but I was in my master's degree class down at Fuller Seminary taking a class and the speaker was long. But they had this team that came in at the very end. They were from the rock in the paradise. Who, yeah. So we were, I was, this team came in, and I really wanted to leave. I had to go to the bathroom. There's some things that were on my mind, you know, I got to go. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Lynn, you have a decision to make in this moment. And that is, you go down for prayer, and I anoint you in a new way, which is going to be like an open door for you, or you can leave. But you're going to choose today what you're going to do. And I decided I was going to go down because I didn't base it upon my feeling. I based it upon the word. And when I went down, it was the second time in my life that I had gotten slain by the spirit. The first time, if, if I've told you about my my, when I was young and I got filled with the Holy Spirit at a, a youth camp, I got slain in the Spirit. But this was the second time I was in a, believe me, Fuller Seminary, highbrow intellectuals. But what they had done is they said, you know, anybody that does, they kind of said, if you don't want any more, go. But those of you that would like to receive, come. And I said, you know what, Lord, I don't want to live a life, a spiritual life that's dry, religious checking off the boxes I want what you say uh, you have for me I want what you're I want what Peter and John had I want to walk like that I want to walk like that I don't want to walk like some of the dried up people I've been encountering I'm gonna tell you and I like I said I've been in the church all my life not that there are bad people but they were dried up and it kind of made me wonder, what was this all about at certain times? And the Lord said, you don't have to have that. You don't have to eat dry toast. <laughs> I got waters for you. I got lush land for you. I got an adventure for you. I got the flow of the Spirit of God in your life. So I believe some of you, that's a word for you and that you need to come down for an anointing to say I need to walk I step in to my exousia authority I step into that some of you need some healing and exousia some of you say I'm just going to get anointed just because I don't know what I need but I need something that's okay too that's sometimes the best way it's just a surprise you know what I mean it's one of those gifts that you get out and you go I don't know what I'm going to get but it's time to be anointed in a Christmas season it's time to be anointed. 
I'm going to pray. Those of you that need to go, feel free to go. May the Lord bless you. Let's pray. And then those of you that would like to be anointed, you may have something that's on your heart or the word has spoken to you in a certain way. You need to seal that. Because I really believe there is a shift going on in this house. There is a shift. Actually, I'm so excited about the Thirst Conference coming up. It's already in my spirit. It's already in my spirit. I'm going to tell you, you better show up to that. You better show up to that. Show up to that, okay? Because it's already in my spirit. It's just like growing in my spirit. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's your word, not our word. It's your word. We stand on your word. You are committed to heal. You are committed as Jehovah Rapha. You, are, you have given us your power. You have given us your authority to do what you did on this earth. You have placed us on this earth to be your vessels of compassion and love for people. So may we walk in that, Lord Jesus. Stir our hearts, Lord. Stir our hearts, Lord. Stir our hearts, Lord. Stir our hearts. May we do what you did. Go take back what the enemy has stolen. Go bind the strong man and take back what the enemy has stolen. For those that are in pain, there are those who are in depression, there are those who are in depravity, there are those who are blind, they don't even know that they need healing. But Lord, you want to stir on our hearts your compassion to reach them for you, Jesus to show forth your glory in 2018 in your precious name. Amen. God bless you. May the Lord be with you this week. Amen.